University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Well, from time to time, ministers um, oh, pour over their prepared remarks for Sunday on a Saturday night, and they think to themselves, well, I know why I wrote this, when I wrote this, but I don't feel the Spirit of God calling me to preach this tomorrow. Uh, so we will not be in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. For my type A personalities, I'm sorry we didn't reprint the bulletins for you. Um, but that's an unsettling feeling. As a planner, typically I write my sermon manuscripts two months in advance so that I have time to, to mull over and pray over and try to figure out what kind of chaos I put into words. But occasionally you come across a moment where you're trying to figure out what God is calling you to speak on. Someone in here might be thinking to themselves, yeah, you might want to uh, put your sermon manuscripts back into the barrel and let them age a little bit longer if you do it for two months. But what was on my heart this morning and last night is the significance of this day. My divinity school dean, Mike Cogdell, so often said, this is a high and holy day. And it is. Today we begin a new chapter of University Baptist Church with the commencement of Eric Fulcher serving in this new position, Minister of Community and Church of the Nations. And it's a significant day because we are entering into a collaboratively inspired partnership of faith. We believe that God has called Eric to serve in this capacity, and Eric believes that God has called him to move more than a thousand miles away from home to fulfill this call. Yet today is a day where we also celebrate and we commission a new staff into service. I think it's also a fitting time for us to contemplate our roles within UBC. Today we are calling forth a new minister, but what I want us to see is that we all bring an important leadership to this church. And so for this, we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Timothy was named after a person uh, that Paul is addressing, Timothy, a companion and co-worker in the church. And if you recall, uh, Timothy was the one that Paul decided to do that adult circumcision uh, just after they had voted. They don't have to do circumcision anymore. That's a great way to start a road trip, you know? The pun I had in my head was, I'm sure Timothy wanted to cut that journey short Glad somebody got that. Scholars have called First and Second Timothy, as well as Titus, the pastoral letters. Um, they're intended to bring an address to those that are leading the local church to give them leadership and guidance. And so naturally, this book, this gives us a glimpse into how the early church leadership was formalized. But I think it gives us a grasp into a healthy perspective of what it looks like for us to lead within the church today. So let's look at First Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperament, self-controlled, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his family well and see that his children obey him and that he must do so in the manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must 
also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gains. They must keep a hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now, who wants to hear some good cheesy pastor jokes? What's gray stands in a river when it rains and does not get wet? An elephant with an umbrella. How can you tell if an elephant is in the refrigerator? The door won't shut. Okay, last one, last one. What do elephants tell for laughs? They tell people jokes. Okay, so what I'm trying to point out is there is a pink elephant in the room when it comes to this text. This letter is inexhaustibly gender-exclusive. Now, with the exception of verse 11, which is debated among scholars as to what Paul originally meant, all of the language written within this text is of the masculine pronouns. Before we accept Paul's masculine characterization of leadership at the face value, or before we dismiss them as altogether sexist, it's important for us to understand that context matters within a book. So what is the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3. First, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is residing as an overseer over a particular community of faith in the ancient Greco-Roman culture. That matters. It matters that Paul didn't say, hey, Timothy, um, make sure this letter is used for the next 2,000 years to cause disunity and division among those who want to interpret it for their priorities. Context matters. Because I don't see many people rushing to fulfill Paul's earlier words in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that says women should dress modestly with decency and, and propriety, not adorning themselves with elaborate hairstyles or golds or pearl expensive jewelry. Every guy in this room wished we were biblical literists when it came to buying an engagement ring. Or wouldn't it be necessary if we didn't agree with Paul's inaccurate portrayal of the fall of Adam and Eve, indicating that it was the woman's fault, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says that Adam was right there with his wife. It's a bit ironic that those who take this text to argue against women's leadership in the church ignore Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, that tells Timothy to stop drinking water, but to drink more wine for his health. We also take out a context that Paul admonishes slaves to honor their masters and calls them to be satisfied with not being wealthy, but content simply content with food and with their clothing. Then there's the broader context of 1 Timothy. With other books in the New Testament, such as Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where Paul praises the deaconess Phoebe when he recognizes Priscilla as a co-worker in the work of God, but about the fact that Phoebe is the one who actually delivered the letter to the Roman church, which means she would have presented and preached that letter to the church itself. We could go on and on with all the scripture passages of all four gospels, and the most important thing is that women were given the charge of preaching the most important sermon the world has ever heard. He is not dead. He has risen. So what we begin to see within this passage, if we can begin to understand that context matters, is that God made all of us in God's image. Paul also writes in his other letters that in Christ there is no male or female, there is no Jew or Gentile, there is no slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ. 
So my prayer this morning is that we don't focus on the exclusive nature of this text, but we begin to see that God is calling all people to lead within God's church. One more elephant joke. What did the pink elephant say to his psychiatrist? Sometimes I'm standing in the middle of the room and no one acknowledges me. All right, thank you for the sympathy laughs. So what is Paul trying to say within this passage? Paul is trying to give formation to a church. He's trying to give shape of the quality and characteristics of those who should step forward and lead God's church. He's addressing two different types of leadership style here. A overseer, which would probably be a modern version of a pastor, deacons, which have taken on many forms in our history. And Paul is writing to a specific context. He's He's writing to those who are aspiring to be an overseer. It would have been unthinkable in Paul's time for women to view themselves in such a place because that was their culture and context. So most likely what he's writing to is a group of men who are wondering, are they qualified? But we see here that we all can look at that we are called by God to preach and to speak and to teach all such things. What we begin to see is that leadership within God's church is a very, very big deal. As my children wake up every single morning, I'm often reminded of how big of a deal parenting is. (laughs) It's a really big deal. When you stop and think about it for just a second, you had to make a conscious decision that you wanted to bring life into this world. And then women have to suffer for nine months by making sure they take care of their bodies, they eat the right things, they do the right things to painfully go through this process. And then the baby arrives and then you realize what you've got yourself into. It's changing the stinky diapers at 2 and 3 and 6 a.m. Don't forget the explosive diarrhea that often comes. You are constantly under pressure of making sure that you are doing the right thing, making sure they can crawl, that nothing's in their way, that nothing's going to fall on them. And you begin to watch them as they grow older and older. You begin to realize just how much pressure there is. Parenting is a big deal. Parenting is a perfect personification of what it looks like to be a leader. And so we see that leading God's church is a very big deal. It's a big task that each of us is called to with our own uniqueness and giftedness to bring some form of leadership to some sort of niche within our faith community. The church is about serious business. We are about the transformation of God's world. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. That's an overwhelming deal to consider. That we are charged with not only raising up people in the way of Jesus, but forming opportunities for community that we might love each other and refine each other and go through conflict with one another and still love each other on the other side. That we might gather for worship together, that we might go forth into our community to serve beside each other Leadership within the church is a big deal. So there's got to be some qualifications as we consider ourselves to be leaders. I read an article recently that said that nearly one in third marriages nowadays is begun from online dating. Uh, There's roughly 8.6 million people using Match.com. The annual revenue for this site is, is absolutely breathtaking. But think about it for just a second. You get to avoid all the awkwardness of getting set up on blind dates, and instead, you know what you're looking for. 
you're able to create a profile, a, a qualifications by which you are looking for. I'm pretty sure that if Jennifer Hale, my wife, was to start a Match.com profile today, it would simply read, someone wholly different than Andy Hale. <laughs> so what Paul is trying to get at here is that church leadership's got to have some qualifications. There's got to be something by which that we measure what we bring before the Lord. And a lot of this is good content through verse 1 through 13. And some of the things that really stick out to me is this. Paul begins by saying, you must first and foremost reflect Christ. Jesus cast the most clear and the greatest vision of the kingdom of God. But, but Jesus didn't just speak God's words into existence, but Jesus personified with his life this new way of thinking and living that he is calling us forth into. He didn't just talk about turning the world right side up in the way that God intended to be, but instead he showed us through transformational leadership what it looks like to take outcast and the hated and make them included within God's kingdom. He showed us what it looks like to take self-righteous religiosity and turn it into compassion and joy. He modeled for us the way of enduring pain and the suffering of the Romans' torture and crucifixion, resurrecting from the dead to show us that God's strength can abide within us to live in this new way through faith in him. Jesus was the ultimate example of leadership because he's not only casting a vision of the kingdom of God, but he has passed on and he has empowered us to live out that kingdom vision. That is a true sign of leadership, to not hold it for yourself, but to empower others to live into that vision. Great leaders don't hide and hoard and hold on to the vision captive. Instead, they inspire. They listen to the dreams of others. And then we seek after those things together. To be Christ-like is an important quality of a leader within our faith community. Because it's not just about having the knowledge of Jesus, it's about having the nature of Jesus lived out in grace and mercy and self-control, justice-seeking, was personified by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he said that, that above all things that love binds them all together. Paul is not calling us to perfection, but instead he's calling us to live life centered on Jesus who is in the process of perfecting us through faith. The other thing we see within this text of 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that Paul is saying that leaders must be selfless and humbled. He uses the terms self-control, hospitable, not quarrelsome, not violent, but gentle and not lovers of money. In supporting texts like 1 Peter, leaders are called to clothe themselves in humility. In Philippians, Paul says, no one should have selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than themselves. And so Paul is trying to convey to us that we must be a people who seek to serve one another, not to serve ourselves. And Jesus again and again tells us within the Gospels that it's not who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven by, by worth, by value, by birth, by economic status, but instead who is the greatest servant of all. If Jesus is a selfless and humble servant, then that must be the primary characteristic of our faith leaders. So stop and consider who you serve. Stop and consider the needs of this faith community. Stop and consider how you might put forth others' needs before your own. It's important to also note what Paul doesn't say. 
He doesn't say that a leader needs to be a perfect person. Paul doesn't draw out a list so completely unreachable that it discredits every single person who possibly wants to serve within the faith community. In fact, he gives us a standard list of showing us that it's not about race or gender or economic status by saying we are all one in Christ. He is looking for someone who is willing to be used and to be molded by God to serve God's church. Think about people like Moses. Here's a guy who doubted that God would use him because he couldn't speak well, yet God used Moses to free the people from Egypt. Think about David. David who killed Goliath, but David who also slept with another man's wife and then had him murdered. David who is probably one of the worst father figures we've ever seen within Scripture. Read 2 Samuel. Yet God used David to establish this kingdom that would bring about the lineage of Christ. Think about Rahab the prostitute. That she helped the Hebrew people overcome Jericho. Mary was a 14-year-old illiterate virgin with the threats of adultery on the lips of those who wanted to kill her, yet she carried the Son of God. God used Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, to be the first to deliver that message. He is not dead. He has risen. These were not perfect people, but they were imperfect people stepping out towards a perfect God that took their imperfections and did something profound with them. In 2017, I received a phone call from Ken Tipton and Rebecca Odenwald. Now, what I didn't realize at the time was those two people are kind of a big deal. (laughs) And they asked me if I would consider putting my resume into the mix for the senior pastor role at University Baptist Church of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, I hadn't been to Baton Rouge since uh, Alabama put a whooping on the Tigers back in the 1980s. Um, But I frequently had the spirit of the city within me as I often sang Garth Brooks, Operator, why not you put me on through? I got to send my love down to Baton Rouge. You know, everybody want to sing along? Okay. But upon contemplating a nearly 1,000-mile move for our family, a complete trajectory change of my vocational journey, I asked Ken and Rebecca, tell me the baggage of the church. Tell me what's happened here. And they were open and they were honest. They shared about the struggles that transpired over the last decade of this church, the theological disagreements, the dissonance of some of the staff, the disagreements and called meetings, the lost confidence, and the departure of many. But I'll never forget what Ken and Rebecca said to me. But UBC is ready to step out in faith into a new chapter with God. So I agreed to have a conversation with the pastor search team. I mean, one conversation is not going to hurt anything, right? And then I got a call with Todd Justice and Glenn Linzer, Brennan Tice and Leslie Kilpatrick and Adam Ellis and Sherry Washusen and David Patterson, Rebecca Odewald and Ken Tipton. And I think it was a stroke of genius, but more importantly, it was God who led me to ask them what their dreams were for UBC. So we dreamed together. And our dreams led us to another meeting and another meeting. And the pastor search team, do you remember that we dreamed together? Do you remember how God was moving and speaking within our group? Soon I found myself dreaming alongside you. I'm here not because of some vision I have for you as your pastor, because of the vision that's represented within the nine people of the pastor search team that embodied the dreams of this congregation. You see, Paul wrote, and this is so key to us, in chapter 
3, verse 9 and 10, that leaders must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with clear conscience, first being tested. A decade of difficulty, do you say, testing has come? So University Baptist Church, you have been tested and stepped forward in faith. You are the leaders that have been prepared for this moment for such a time as this. Each of us, whether new staff members or other paid staff members, young or old, longtime members or recent attendees, you and I have been equipped and prepared by God to lead this church into a new chapter that God is writing through us in faith. You are qualified. You are called to partner together in this great work. Today is a new day for us, stepping boldly forward in faith as we call forth this new minister. But also, we are reaffirming and reigniting and recommissioning our call as individual members of this congregation to step forward and to bring our giftedness and strength to offer them at the foot of God that God might use them to fulfill the mission and vision of this church. God wants to empower us into a new understanding, into a new understanding of your worth for the kingdom of God. God wants to partner and share your story for the benefit of seeing the world transformed starting right here in Baton Rouge. Are you willing to discover that partnership? Are you willing to discover your part in where God is leading? God wants us to partner with him. God is raising new leaders. Are you willing to step out in faith and be one?